everyone, and welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Well, what a joy to be with you today. We continue a series of messages, and I have to admit to you that uh, the message series that we're in right now, I kind of expected would be about four weeks long. And um, and it just gets getting longer and longer because every week I come up with another question. The, uh, the series title is Vital Questions. And what we're looking at are questions that we ask from time to time in the course of our life. Questions that, that if we don't find the right answer for can sometimes really cripple us in our faith. And so we've talked about numerous questions that we struggle with. Why am I discouraged? What's wrong with me? Everybody else seems to be doing well. What's wrong with me? And uh, will God forgive me of my sins? I know he forgives everybody else, but what about me and the challenges that I face? Why is it that, that people that don't love God and don't care about God seem to do well, and those of us that really make a decision to walk with God seem to struggle? That doesn't make any sense. Those are the kind of questions that we've talked about over the course of our time together. Now, the question I want to talk about today is a question that I think is a powerful question for us in the challenges that we face today, and it's simply this. Why am I afraid? <laughs> or maybe I could word it a different way because some of you know why you're afraid. You, you, you know the reason for your fear. And so the question for you might be, how can I overcome that fear? And I think it's a powerful question that really is so relevant to where we are today because fear drives the decisions of our life. There are many of you that the very decisions you make every day are are driven by fear. Do you know that fear can affect the way you vote? Boy, I'm afraid if this guy gets in office, what would happen to our country? I'm afraid if this guy gets in office or I'm afraid we don't have a choice today. If, uh, you know, all those kinds of fears that, that drive decisions that we make, even sometimes in the way that we vote. It, it can drive the decisions we make about our careers. Rather than really looking at what God has called me to do and what I'm gifted to do and and, and I, I, I'm afraid that I'm, I'm not going to be able to make a living for my family. And so we begin to make decisions based on our fear. How we parent sometimes is driven by fear, isn't it? I, I've told you before, there's two basic paths that we can take in parenting. Either we prepare our child for the path or we prepare the path for our child. And I've discovered that, that, that the motivation for those decisions is fear. Sometimes we make a decision to prepare the path for our child because we're afraid. I'm afraid of what's going to happen to them. I'm afraid of when they get out in that big world. We want to bubble wrap our kids and protect them from anything so that nothing bad ever happens to them and everybody wins and nobody ever loses And because you never lose in life. And, and so we prepare the path for our child and it's motivated by fear rather than preparing our child for the path that is before them. So fear has a way of dictating so much of our life. 
And fear can lead to worry and anxiety. It, it literally impacts the way we live our lives. Now, in the course of our time together in this series, we have been in the book of Psalms. And in the book of Psalms, we've discovered that every one of those questions that we sometimes ask, the psalmist has asked them. What I love about the Psalms is it's so raw and it's so honest that the psalmist asks the questions and, and he often finds an answer to those very questions that we discovered. So continuing in that same direction today, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 34. Now, Psalm 56 also offers great insight into this same truth, and I'd love for you to look at Psalm 56 at a later time. Not today, but later on, just to make a note of that uh, as you continue to develop and build on what God shows you in our time together today. Look again at Psalm 56. But today, we're going to focus on Psalm 34. Now, David knows what it is to be afraid. There was a time in David's life when thousands of soldiers were hunting him with one order, and that was to kill on sight. And David was running from Saul's army. Saul had somehow identified David as a threat to the, to the throne and to the kingdom and, and had given those instructions to his army. And, and David was running from one place to another, constantly hoping to stay a step ahead of Saul's army. And you know what? In the fear that comes from that. You know, I've discovered that fear actually is the breeding ground for all the questions we've been talking about. Being afraid brings us to the place where we say, God, where are you? Why aren't you here? Why aren't you coming through? How long, God, are you going to wait before you respond? Why is it that Saul's doing good and everything's going well and I haven't done anything wrong? My heart and my motive is right and yet he wants to kill me. This doesn't make any sense. Why am I the one that's running? All of those questions come against the backdrop of his fear. Now, Psalm 34 comes to us at a time uh, of David's life that is recorded for us in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 21. David has been running from Saul and he's going from one cave in the wilderness to another. Finally, it gets so bad that David says, I think my best option is to get out of Israel altogether. And he flees to Gath. Now, to tell you how desperate he is, Gath is the home country of Goliath. David is hated in Gath because he killed their greatest warrior. And they hadn't forgotten that. They hadn't got over that. And so for David to, to recognize that it is safer for me in Gath than it is in Israel gives you an indication of just how bad it was for him. 
So he goes into Gath, and I don't want to chase a rabbit, but there's a fun story attached to that because he actually is captured by the Philistines, and you just have to go back and study how he got out of that. It was really a crazy experience, and I use the word crazy on purpose. Uh, It was a crazy experience in his life. But David feels alone. He feels abandoned. He feels forsaken. He feels forgotten. And Psalm 34 comes from that. In fact, this is what many scholars believe. Many scholars believe that he may well have written Psalm 34 while he was in one of those caves hiding from Saul. But what he writes in Psalm 34 is not what you would expect from the heart of a man who is afraid and running for his life. In fact, we discover in Psalm 34 that David had found a way to overcome his fear. He'd found a way to become fearless. And I think as we look at it together today, we're going to discover three things that David does that enables him to overcome fear. So let's look at it together. Psalm 34, we'll read it. Some of these verses are probably going to be familiar to you as we read them together. But against that backdrop, maybe David sitting in a cave, sits down with a pen and pens these words, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant. Their faces were, will never be ashamed. The poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is a man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you, his saints. For to those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not be in want for any good things. Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life? The, the, that loves length of days, that he will see good. Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers. He cuts off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their trouble. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. How can a man who is hunted as a fugitive sit down and write those words of praise? I think David discovered something that you and I need to discover. And if we don't, fear will grip our soul and paralyze us. 
in the challenges that we face in life. So three things that I think David does that overcome, that enables him to overcome fear. And I believe if you'll do these three things, when you are afraid, when you face challenges that are overwhelming, when you get to the place where you are alone and feel that there is no one there, everyone has forsaken you. These are three things you can do that I think will overcome the fear that will grip your heart. Number one, he worships. He overcomes his fear with worship. And, and, it, and it's really interesting that David would decide to worship. Look at the words that he used in, that, in the text. Bless the Lord. Praise the Lord with me. I will boast in God. I will magnify the Lord. Exalt the Lord. Seek the Lord. The word boast that he used first is interesting when he says, I will boast in the Lord. It means to celebrate. And, and you know what? David had a whole lot of things that he could boast in, right? I mean, he could boast in his ability as a warrior from the time that he was a kid. I mean, he killed a lion. He killed a bear. He fought and killed Goliath. He could boast in his popularity. Do you remember after he killed Goliath and began to establish a name for himself as a warrior that the people came out? And one of the problems that made Saul kind of mad at David is that the people started singing the song, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. All of a sudden, David becomes more popular than Saul. All of a sudden, David is the most eligible bachelor in all of Israel. He's on the front page of the Jerusalem Post. Man, every girl wants to have him as a boyfriend. He's got a lot of stuff to boast in. And as if that's not enough, not only was he a warring, a, a great warrior, had a great mind. This makes me a little bit mad as a pastor. He was a musician. The guy could play an instrument and could sing. It makes me mad when I see pastors that can preach and also sing. That's just wrong. It should not happen. But David, man, he was a warrior. And yet, man, he could pick up a heart and, 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 and strike up a chord with a band. And he could play a song. Not only that, he was a poet. Look at the Psalms that he has written. This guy could boast in so many areas. He was successful in so many things. And yet, listen to me, in a cave, he lost all of it. He couldn't boast any longer in being the most popular person. He wasn't. He was pursued and hunted. He couldn't boast in being a musician. He didn't have time to pick up the harp. He didn't have it with him in all likelihood. He couldn't boast in, in, in being the most eligible bachelor because nobody wanted him now because there, there was, a, there was a, a, a number on him. There was a target on his back. There was a price attached to his head. He'd lost everything. You know what I've discovered? The things we boast in are the things that often bring fear to our life. What is it that you boast in? What is it that you're most proud of? I mean, you know, we can finally get that car we want. We're so proud of it. But what happens? I'm afraid somebody's going to steal it. I'm afraid, you know, I, I, I get tickled sometimes. I'm going to a parking lot and somebody has a really nice car and they park sideways. You know what I'm talking about? Take up two parking spaces. 
Now, why do they take up two parking spaces? Because they're afraid. What are they afraid of? They're afraid I'm going to open my door and ding their prized possession. So they're going to park sideways in, in, in the parking lot. And, and do you ever just have the desire to just... I don't want to go there, but anyway. They're, why do they do that? Because they're afraid. Whatever we boast in can bring fear. Maybe David had gotten to the point where he was afraid that he would lose his popularity. Maybe he was afraid he would lose all of the recognition he had gotten. But all of a sudden, here he was. He found himself in a place where he didn't have anything that he could brag about. And all of a sudden, he discovered that when he had lost everything in life he could brag about, he didn't lose everything in life. He didn't lose everything in life. The thing that he had to boast in was the Lord. And all of a sudden, his fear was gone because, you know what, he had lost it. I, I, I was afraid I'm going to lose it, Well, I've already lost it. So there's no fear anymore. And my boast and my joy is in God. And I've discovered in losing everything that I didn't lose the most important thing in life. You can't take that away from me. And so he says, I'm going to boast in the Lord he says, and then he says this, magnify the Lord with me. The word magnify means to make bigger. Did you ever play with a magnifying glass when you were a kid? I lived in the country and we had to invent things to do. We would just get bored. And, and I, I, somebody gave me a magnifying glass. It became a dangerous thing, actually. Because I learned that with a magnifying glass in the sun you can actually burn your name in a piece of paper. Did you know you could do that? Some of you are going to like, you know, I'm going to go home and try it. it. It works. And you can burn your name, but you have to be careful because you can start a fire with it too. We would get leaves and start fires with it and, and burn ants as they were walking. There's all kinds of things. You can, but what does a magnifying glass do? It makes something small bigger. And see so you know what David says? In the midst of my fear, we need to make God big. <laughs> because when I'm afraid, he's little. When I'm afraid, I, I, I have somehow reduced God. But, oh, magnify the Lord. And then I love this. Because he says this in the midst of his fear. Magnify the Lord with me. He is inviting us into corporate worship. And David is saying, I don't need to just worship God. I need to be around other people that are worshiping God because it's in the presence of other people worshiping God that God gets real big. And isn't that true? Doesn't God get real big in this room? Does it happen to you? When we're singing certain songs, there are moments that I'm, I'm just kind of swept away in worship, but there are times when God fills this room up and God is bigger in this moment than he is in any other time in my life. And David says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. That's the way we get rid of the fear. God has become little, but we need to make him big and we need to exalt his name forever. We need to, we need to make him big, lift him up, focus on his activity, seek him, he says. Often we don't see God because we're not seeking him. And he says, look, we need to be looking for God. Don't look at the problem. The problem becomes big and you become little and God becomes little. Let's seek God and let him become big. And you know what he discovered? That God was near the brokenhearted. 
in the midst of all of that in the cave, he said, and this is what I've discovered. God is near the broken heart. The guy that lost everything that he had to boast in, God's near him. And suddenly I haven't lost everything. So first, he says, if we're going to overcome fear, worship. Secondly, we overcome fear with truth. Now, this is a really important truth for us to embrace because so many of you have been paralyzed by fear. And the reason you've been paralyzed by fear is because you're believing a lie that the enemy has taught you. The father of all lies has whispered in your ear and he has lied to you and you have bought into the lie. And as a result of that, you're afraid. You don't believe God will forgive you. We talked about forgiveness last week. Some of you don't believe that God can forgive you. You're afraid God will never forgive you of a sin that you have. And why is that? Because somebody has whispered in your ear and says, well, God won't forgive you of that. Are you serious? You think you're a Christian? You think God loves you? You think God, you know what you did. I know what you did. Nobody else knows what you did, but God knows what you did. He'll never forgive you for that. And some of you have bought into the lie. And all of a sudden, you're afraid that I'll never be forgiven. I'm afraid that I'm not going to go to heaven because God will, everybody else can go to heaven, but not me. He's not going to forgive me. He's not going to do a work in my life. And fear comes into our life because we have listened to the father of lies. But look at what David does. In the text before us, in Psalm 34, and in verse 7, he said, The Lord encamps with those who fear him. David is camping out. He's living in a in a tent at best, most of the time under the stars, sometimes in a cave. He's got a handful of guys with him. And you know what he discovered? God's, God's in the camp. He hadn't left me, he hadn't forsaken me. He's camping out with us, guys. He's right in the middle of everything that's going on. I don't understand everything that is happening and it doesn't make any sense and, and it might not even change, but I do know this, he's with us. In verse 15, he says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. He's saying this, God sees us. He hasn't missed me. He knows where I'm at. He sees me. And his ears are toward those who cry, God hears me. So what does David do? He holds on to the truth. God is here. He sees me. He hears me. It doesn't feel like he sees me. It doesn't feel like he hears me, but I know he is. He is near in verse eight, the bro- 18, the brokenhearted. In verse 19, many are the afflictions. There are a lot of problems. This is what I've discovered. We have one problem after another in life. I've told you many times, you are either in a crisis or you're headed toward one or you're coming out of one. There are many afflictions in life, but you know what he says? Even in the midst of all of those afflictions, God delivers us. God redeems and takes bad decisions and bad experiences and turns them into good. How is it that David is able to say that? While he's sitting in a cave. Because what David does is he remembers. He looks back over his shoulder and he says, this isn't the first time I've been afraid. I've been afraid before. When that lion came, oh, we have a tendency to see David, that little boy with a slingshot. Man, he just had so much courage. He went, he was scared to death. How did he overcome his fear? God help me. <laughs> Make me accurate. 
Let me get this thing. And then suddenly a bear comes, and, and maybe the thing that gives him strength over the bear is, you know what, I, I killed a lion. And if I'm able to kill a lion, I, you know what, I think I can take the bear. And maybe even when he found Goliath, it was like, well, you know what, I killed a lion, and I killed a bear. And if God made me accurate then, if God protected me then, then I believe that I can trust God now. What David does is he looks back over his shoulder, and he begins to re rehearse the faithfulness of God in his life. And he sees the truth. God's never left me. God's never forsaken me. The enemy tells me he's left me and he's forsaken me and I'm out here and everything. But he remembers. In the cave, it's easy to doubt God's faithfulness. In the cave, it's easy to doubt God's goodness. In the cave, it's easy to doubt God's care. But David reflects back over the past of other fearful moments. And he recognizes the truth that, that even Paul unpacks for us in the New Testament. In the book of Philippians chapter four, when Paul says in verse eight and nine, whatsoever things are right, whatsoever things are, are pure, whatsoever things are of good reputation, think on these things. Guys, you've got a choice. You can think on the bad, you can think on the good. Think on these things. That's where you're gonna find the security of, of God's favor in your life. As a pastor, one of the privileges that I've had for 25 years is to walk with you through fearful moments. I've been with you, many of you, in those times when you were afraid. I've been with you at a hospital. I've been with you in a funeral home. I've been with you in your home. I've been with you here. In those moments that you were afraid for your daughter's life, your son's life, your husband's life, your wife's life, you were afraid for your marriage, you were afraid for your finances, you were afraid for your own health. And you know what I've tried to do in 25 years? I've tried to, every time I'm with you in those fearful moments, I've tried to remind you of the truth. You've heard me say this a thousand times. <laughs> hey, God's not surprised. You tell me about a, an experience in your life and it's a horrible moment and I have probably said to many of you, you know what? God's not surprised. He's not in heaven shaking his hand saying, oh goodness, I didn't see this coming. God knew we would be right here today. He knew you would be right here today. And because he knew that, he's going to give us right here today everything we need to get through this today. That's the truth. And that truth sustains us, right? You know what? I've even heard some of you say that to other people. And sometimes you've said it to me. You know what? God's not surprised. He's still on his throne. He's still in control. It doesn't seem like he is. I'm in a cave, and, and I don't understand why I'm here, and I don't understand where he is. But he's not surprised. He knew I would be here. We speak the truth. There have been those times that I've stood with you and held your hand, and especially in those moments when a parent 
is fearful about their child, and you've probably heard me say this, you know what? God loves your child more than you do. You don't have to wonder if he is at work for the good of your child. He loves that baby more than you do. The answer for the fear is truth. And when we recite the truth, when we focus and we worship and we speak truth, I, I like what one pastor said, and this is, this is maybe a way you can do it for us. How, how, do we, how do we live this out? We're seeing David do it. He worships God. How do we do that? Well, we worship God in our own personal time. We, we choose to praise him even when I'm in the cave, even when I don't see him, even when I don't make sense. I praise him for who he is and what he's done in my life. And, and then I, I begin to speak truth. This is how you can speak truth in your life. I like what one old, one old pastor said this. He, he said, whenever you doubt, I could even add, add to that, whenever you're afraid, measure the compassion of God through the cross. When you are tempted to ask the question, God, do you know how bad this hurts? Measure that against the cross. And you know what you're going to discover? He does. On the cross, he suffered, went through the pain of separation, the agony of being alone, as your sins were placed on his shoulder, the truth is we can measure the compassion of God for us by looking at the cross. When I'm hurt, when I'm afraid, I can simply ask, God, do you know how bad it is? Yes. Do you know how dark it is? Yes. Do you know how hard it is? Yes. And we can be assured that in that hurt, we're not alone. Third thing that he does is this. He overcomes fear with faith. The first two steps bring us here. Worship God, recognizing who he is and what he's done. Reciting the truth of God's faithfulness in our life brings us to the place where we trust him. We recognize that his past track record enables us to recognize that he's faithful and we can trust him. In verse 8, he simply says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Blessed is the man who trusts him. Blessed is the man who places his faith in him. Taste and see that God is good. Trust in him. Now, here's the question I have for you. Was David really being realistic when he asked or when he makes that statement. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Really? You're in a cave, David. There's a thousand soldiers that are looking for you with an order to kill on sight. Saul is still on the throne. God promised you you would be king, but it doesn't look like that's ever going to happen. Maybe God can't be trusted. Maybe his word can't be trusted. Nobody cares about you. The end result of your life doesn't look that good. And you want to say God is good? You want to say what can man do to me? Actually, a lot. They can kill you. 
Was David naive when he made the statements that he made? No, he was exercising his faith. He's going to later on write a psalm that all of us know in 23 about his experience as a shepherd. And and he's going to say of that experience, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. I'm not afraid. Why? Because you're with me. One of the things I've discovered, you're with me. Even when I'm in a valley and it seems like I'm at the lowest point of my life, I have to remind myself that the only way you can get in the valley is if you got mountains. And when I'm in a shadow, the only way you have a shadow is if the sun's shining. So even in the horrible experiences I'm in, there's a confident faith that you are working in my life. But now I want to end it this way by saying, what about me and what about you? God never promised us that we would be the king. I mean, all of a sudden, David can hang on to the promises of God. You're going to be the king. It's easy for him to sit in the cave and say God's going to come through because God made a promise. He never promised me I'd be a king. Never said that that he would guarantee that I would survive in the challenges and the difficulty of life. So what about us? Well, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, something that kind of puts it in perspective for us. Paul said, And it's true of us too. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 16. In this life you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome this world. What we discover is simply this, life is hard, life is scary, but for those of us that are in Christ, the greatest threat we will ever face has already been defeated. Our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the resurrection, God defeated death. Our faith in Christ means that the enemy is destroyed. Now, I want to tell you something. He can still hurt you, but he can't defeat you. So we don't have to be afraid of the end result or the outcome because the enemy has been defeated. Kind of reminds me of an old song we used to sing a lot when I was growing up, one that is certainly dear to many of you here, (laughs) written by Gloria Gaither. Because he lives... The lyrics go, I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is what? Gone. Because I know, I know who holds the future. So life is worth the living just because he lives. How do we overcome fear? Worship. Corporately, we come together and make God big. (laughs) Individually, we make God big. We see him for who he is. 
We boast in him and not in the junk that we have that will not survive, but we find our true boast is in who he is. We seek him, we look for him, and we find him. How do we overcome fear? Well, we worship and we recite the truth. We remember that we've been afraid before. We remember we've been here before. We remember that we have friends who have walked through what we're walking through and they came through on the other side. And God was faithful then and he'll be faithful now. How do we make it through those things that we're afraid of? Well, we put our faith and our confidence in God. And so as a believer today, we don't have to live in fear. We can live in the victory of fearless life. And maybe you're here today as a believer and you are, you're paralyzed by fear. And today God has just shown you some things that you need to correct in your life. And my prayer is that you'll make those adjustments. But it might be that you're here today and have never accepted Jesus. And today God invites you to become his child to find the forgiveness that is available in Jesus in the new life he offers. A life victorious over even the things we're afraid of. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message you've given us today, the opportunity to respond to its truth. Oh God, we love you. Thank you for your word that opens doors for us to understand how that we can walk in the victory that you've made available to us. And for so many people, we have that question, God, why am I afraid? How can I overcome? And we've discovered some truth today that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you can allow us to, uh, to, to practice, and I pray that you will. But I also pray for that one person that's listening today that's never accepted you. They've thought about it. They've prayed about it. And, and they know they need you. And today's the day. Holy Spirit, speak that truth into their life. Let them realize today's the day that I need to name the name of Jesus. Ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. May that be the day today that they make that decision. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.